Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today was such a fun episode. We had on Anthony Sane, beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies, to talk Grizzlies basketball and what the bubble is going to look like for them. We went back in time and talked about LeBron James and the decision. Then we wrapped up the show with Getting Cozy and the Degenerates Den to talk PGA Tournament. Remember to stay plugged into our social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Burst Your Bubble. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. You can get us even on your Alexa devices. If you're bored at home, just tell Alexa to play Burst Your Bubble podcast. And remember to rate, review, and continue to share us with your friends and literally everyone you know. Thanks for listening. And remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyle, here we are on Wednesday. We are ready to go. Wednesday, hump day. This is going to be a great episode. We've got a wonderful interview uh, coming up that's going to be wonderful for you guys. You guys are going to love it. How's the week been so far, man? Are you uh, getting gearing up for Big Fire Baseball tomorrow? I am. You know, uh, this week has been full of sunshine and full of golf, full of sleep. Uh, very big, very busy Big Fire Baseball weekend coming up. Uh, I've got a couple things I want to talk about, Josh, before we get into some headlines. Um, first, how much did you enjoy our conversation today with Anthony Singh? Oh, man. Anthony is a wonderful guy to be able to get on the pod. Just an honor. You've got to talk to such a uh, pristine beach rider and honestly kind of an up-and-coming beat rider as well uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Great opportunity. Great things happening in Memphis. I've got a lot of faith in the in the young superstars there. So, uh, wonderful episode or wonder, wonderful interview coming up with Anthony. So definitely check that out. Yeah. So uh, what do you have planned for today, Josh? What's your Wednesday entail? So Wednesday, uh, not going to be too busy at work. I've got a lot of emails to go through, a lot of things. So my day job uh, yesterday, Tuesday was primary day. I told everyone to go out to vote. So my day gets uh, very busy after the primary, just uh, a lot of phone calls to return, a lot of emails to go through. Um, and then my birthday is on Thursday. Ooh, happy early birthday. I appreciate that. So I'm going to, I've got a plan with GRDA and then with the wife. So hopefully not a lot. And then I'm going to go down to uh, the lake and just spend some time relaxing and uh, just having a good time. A couple of yeah, adult bet beverages. You, bet you will, Josh. Uh, so now I know the NHL was on your totem pole of sports video games. Um, have you played NHL 20? Oh, yes. So, uh, now, you know me, Josh. I'm deep in the career mode of any sports games, and I'm actually pretty addicted to NHL career mode. NHL is so much fun. I mean – I rival it to Madden. Honestly, is there a better sport made for video games? I would say basketball. So, here's my argument. It's the same up and down speed of basketball. Yep. It's the strategy. Probably, and, and you move- can argue a little bit quicker. Yeah, it's the strategy and movement of FIFA, of soccer. And it's the hard hits and fights of football. I mean, it's, it's everything wrapped into one. I mean, it, it can be a little slow, like, you know, the, maybe the lack of scoring if it's a defensive battle. But even then, I'll argue that in, in those games, I mean, you're more tense, you're more on the edge of your seat uh, than you are in, a, you know, a, a 5-2 game. So the only reason that I think basketball is more made for video games is because it's four quarters, more opportunity for things to 
all the scoring. It is. It's a game of runs. It gives you a chance to go up, get down, go up, get down, play with emotion throughout the game with how the game is going. In hockey, NHL, you score once, that could be the game. You could win the game off of that one goal that you get somehow by hitting a slap shot in the top left corner from the top. I mean, hockey can change in an instant. Yeah, it really can. That's one thing I've been learning over the past couple of days. Uh, Diving deep, deep, deep into my career mode. I think I'm probably like 27 games into my rookie year. So um, So what team do you play for? Would you say? What team do you play for? Uh, I'm on the Arizona Coyotes. Oh, okay. You get drafted there? Yeah, I was drafted 44th overall. So second round pick um, came from – I was in the Memorial Cup. So, uh, you know, earned my way up. So it was a – it was it was a fun time, so you know I'm I'm diving deep into that. I'm I'm actually I'm actually going to uh, probably call you tomorrow and get some pointers from you, Josh, since you're so well versed in uh on NHL on uh, NHL 20, uh, just where to aim my shots. I <laughs> I feel like I take 57 shots a game and I only score at best two goals. So so I'm gonna need some help there. I can absolutely help you because there's a there's a trick to scoring in NHL, and once you figure it out. You cannot be beat. I'll help you out with that. Give me a call later today. So uh, I'll definitely do that. Uh, one one thing I do wish EA would do is dive more into the story storytelling mode um, in in the career mode that 2K does. Uh, you know, with their my player on obviously um, NBA. Uh, give us some cutscenes, and honestly, they don't even have to tell a story. Just you know, after a game against the Vegas Knights, for example, uh, have a cutscene of my guy walking by Mark Andrew Fleury and. Have a little fist bump. You just something random like that. I don't know. But uh, let's get into some headlines. Josh, what do you got? I'm excited to see Cam in a Patriots uniform. We talked about it a little bit on the last episode, and I'm just kind of ready. Uh, there's been a lot more talk about what that's going to look like and how the team is is going to change their image, change their game plan. And so uh, has your prediction changed on the division winner since last time we broke down this division? You know, I've heard some speculation, or some not speculation, I've heard some, um, some I would say, deterrers of Cam come out and say that, you know, maybe Jarrett Stidham should still be looked at as the starter in this situation. Maybe that uh, Cam Newton being thrust into that, into that starting role shouldn't be cemented quite yet. And uh, I think that's pretty ridiculous. You know, I think that, that um, I, Cam was actually pretty handcuffed in Carolina, especially the past couple of years, um, in the aspect that, I mean, uh, they were telling him to not run the ball. Uh, mainly Ron Rivera trying to protect Cam because, you know, escaping the pocket when he's injured, he's not able to escape, able to get the ball off and take some big hits. But, you know, when you're limiting Cam and he's already hurt, has a shoulder injury, and now you're just telling him to throw, 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 don't use your legs. I mean, that's going to, that's just making it even, making the situation much, much worse. Um, Now you could be the biggest Jets fan in the world, Josh. You could hate Bill Belichick. You have to be excited about the potential schemes and play calls we could see Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniel, and Cam Newton scheme up. So, Ron Ver actually came out and was very high on Cam uh, headed to the Patriots, said not to rule the Patriots out this year simply because of Cam Newton and the things that he was able to do with his legs and to extend plays. So, I'm, I'm super excited to watch Cam there. Uh, he actually has a little bit of talent to work with. You know, everyone said that, well, Tom doesn't have weapons. Well, Cam's coming into a team with a couple of really good running backs, and you re- you're looking at Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, uh, and then the second-year wide receiver, 
Nikhil Harry. Yeah, I mean, we we did it on the uh, on the Fantasy Football Friday when we had the AFC East. Josh, we, we talked about how lethal this running game was going to be, and that was with Jared Stidham. Yeah, this entire offense takes an uptick. If Cam Newton is the one under center, the offense moves up automatically. Another headline, Keller, that I want to talk to you about specifically because I know that it, uh, it affects one of your teams heading into the bubble, DeAndre Jordan and Spencer Dinwiddie not going to play. So are you still going to double down on your nets, making some noise, or are you going to go ahead and concede that, that uh, the playoff dream is over for the nets? So my guy Spencer Dinwiddie is not out yet. Um, he, he did test positive. He's, he's um, still testing the waters on if he's going to go or not. Uh, and actually the deadline to sign players was last night, uh, Tuesday night. So uh, it, I think, you know, even if he does opt out, I don't think they'll be able to replace him. So I, I think Spencer Dinwiddie will be there. Uh, but as far as DeAndre Jordan, I think, I mean, he has been better statistically than Jared Allen all season. But I, I think giving Jared Allen the starting role and full confidence and, uh, you know, this is your starting position and we need you to really lock down the paint, really lock down that center position, uh, you know, play the pick and roll with Karis LeVert, with, with Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I think he's really going to thrive in that role. And here's something I heard today, Josh. They're really going to uh, try and showcase a guy like Jared Allen, a guy like Karis LeVert, uh, because this summer they're going after a, a big, big fish in the water with a trade, and that's Bradley Beal. Well, if they can land Bradley Beal, that team will be really good coming into the 2021 season. Josh, I think if they don't land Bradley Beal, they're going to be the favorite to win the championship. And if they do, they're going to be the runaway favorite. Uh, if they do not sign Avery Bradley, I am definitely not going to give them the favorites to win. Well, I mean, did you see, did you see the lineup the Nets have that, uh, of just the players that aren't going to the bubble? I have not seen the exact lineup. Off the top of my head, I know Kyrie, KD, DeAndre Jordan – that's what I know off the top of my head. But, I mean, even those guys right there, I mean, that's some, really something to say. Like we've talked about multiple times, KD and Kyrie on one team can really make your team, uh, you know, take them to the next level and, and really make a difference. <laughs> did you see the uh, – did you see the picture as well? Of the, uh, it was a picture of the Nets uh, back in probably, I think, 2012, 2013, a picture that included guys like Yogi Ferrell. Uh, and it was a picture of the Nets starting five in the, uh, in the bubble, and that was probably the picture of the quarantine. That's probably my favorite picture of the NBA bubble so far. Yeah, that was a really good one. So, I mean, this starting five uh, that's just not going to the bubble for the Nets, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Wilson Chandler, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and Nick Claxton, uh, and, and, a rookie they drafted last year, um, hasn't played this year due to injury. So, uh, I mean, just those five guys that aren't going, and obviously all the talent they have there, who's going to be a formidable talent, a formidable opponent for whoever they play. Um, obviously, with all the talent they had have there had there last year, uh, so it is going to be a lot of fun to fun to watch. Uh, Josh, I know you're a lot of busy, um, uh, really, really busy. You don't have a lot of time to be uh, binging any shows, anything like that, watching any thing on ESPN uh, you probably missed it it was um a special about the decision in 2010 did you did you get to catch that it was a backstory about that um a breakdown so, by Don Venata so I watched a little bit about it but I more so watched a lot of the reactions from it 
So I watched that decision break down from Don Ben on listened to a few podcasts about it. Uh, Josh, what do you remember most about the decision? Uh, the one thing that sticks out is the burning of the jerseys. That, that's the one thing that really, really sticks in your mind. What, what about from like the television event? Uh, from the event itself, it was probably how much of a draw the entire thing was. And then LeBron being able to just kind of, take over all media for one day right so uh three things that really stood out to me in the moment one his horrible shirt two the event was way too long it was an hour-long tv special when he was it was based around one question i didn't understand that from the jump um three in that moment i felt that lebron and his people uh, had complete control over the tv event and the landscape of the nba and they knew it um, I mean, did you hear how it came to be? Did you hear the backstory of how the decision came came to fruition? I heard it was based off of a fan's decision. So uh, long story short, someone wrote in the Bill Simmons mailbag. Uh, the idea, Simmons pitched it a bunch of times to ESPN execs and eventually Mav Carter and Leon Rose, and they didn't hate it. But here's the thing, Josh, the meeting that Simmons had with Leon Rose, World Wide West, um, a couple of others um, about the decision – about the decision uh, TV special, it was after a Cavs win in Boston in the playoffs, game three. Woo. So, I mean, they didn't hate the idea. You know, they just kind of, you know, nodded their heads, said whatever. And then the Cavs lost three straight games. And LeBron was bounced from the playoffs. Um, so his team basically adopted the idea, made it their own. Um, forced his way onto ESPN for a full hour, and they just let him, no questions asked. Uh, let me break this down a little bit, Josh. 10 million people tuned in for over 30 minutes of the program, and over 13 million people were watching ESPN as LeBron made his decision. So that is still, to this day, um, a record for most amount of viewers watching ESPN at one time for a TV special like that. A pretty incredible no matter how bad the TV spectacle actually was, how, how long it was, how useless the questions were, I mean, you can't deny that 13 million people were watching it, and, I mean, that's never been done. Well, yeah, and that's LeBron. He's going to dominate that, that marketing era. That's what he's done, and that's what he's continuing to do now. We just saw it with the $100 million investment into his media company that he's, gonna, uh, that he's moving into. He's moving into that, uh, that media conglomerate role as well as an NBA superstar. So this is nothing new for LeBron. And back in 2010, this was when he really got his feet wet and, you know, decided, hey, I really like this aspect of, of this career, and this is really where I want to take it. I want to play in movies. I, I love the Hollywood side of it, and this is where a lot of ESPN execs and a lot of people around LeBron circle have not been surprised that he ended up in L.A. towards the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, like I said, you know, he, he really took control of the landscape uh, of even the TV landscape that night and really the landscape, landscape of the NBA. And it's, it was obvious then that, uh, you know, LeBron was going to do what he wanted when he wanted. And he wasn't going to let anyone, um, you know, justify those decisions or uh, impact those decisions. So let's talk about Chicago for a minute. Um, they were a huge subject of discussion on the uh, last dance. Obviously, a lot of uh, hate came down on the GM and on the owner. Uh, so let, um, 
the Bulls to this day believe that they had Bosch and Wade 100% coming. And the information that they had was that they needed to open up room for a third max player. They didn't know about LeBron. They didn't know it was him. And um, that was the first indication to any team in the league that a big three would be forming. Problem is, Luol Deng, four-year, $48 million deal. Today, that deal is manageable. 2010, that deal is horrible. Um, another problem the Bulls face that Derrick Rose is in the mindset that uh, he could still be the best player on a championship team. And, you know, the next year he won MVP and won 60 games. So, I mean, probably could have been. But, Josh, imagine if they could have traded Dang, or if they would have traded Dang. I mean, you know they could have dumped him for something. Rose, Wade, Braun, Bosh, Joakim Noah. I mean, obviously that would have been one of the best lineups in the history of the league. We were very, 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 very close to seeing it. I'd say a lot closer than any. Josh, they, like I said, they thought they had Bosch and Wade signed. Yeah, part of me always thinks that would LeBron want to sign with Chicago? He's been chasing the ghost, quote unquote, for so long. Is Chicago really where he wants to spend his time to continue chasing that ghost? I think that would have been a, a huge mistake for LeBron heading down to Chicago. So what if uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh had signed in Chicago and just kind of left LeBron out to dry? I think you would have seen him go to a different – you would have seen him move to a different uh, franchise, a different – Well, Chicago wins – How? well, Chicago dominates the 2010s. I mean, at least maybe. the first part of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, they would have played really good basketball. I think it would also depend on where LeBron James would have ended up at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the what-ifs are endless. Uh, yeah, so one more I thing mean, I wanted to one, ask you about. One thing, one thing about that is I think that – because I got into a, uh, a social media argument with some guys uh, yesterday over the – which I know which I you're on on this – the LeBron James move and the Kevin Durant move. And mm -hmm. so I got into a little bit of a spat with some guys uh, yesterday on this because they were acting like it was the same exact move and it wasn't at all. And so, but one, one difference that they pointed out was, you know, Kevin Durant joined a squad that was already formed and they failed to mention 73 win team that made it to the finals. They neglected that part, which was, one of my biggest problems with the argument. But anyway, Kevin Durant joined a team that was already formed. LeBron James basically handpicked and built the team that he wanted. And so that I mean, was kind of what it was. I mean, not even that, Josh. I, I, you know, it's, it's so, like you said, it's, just, it's impossible to compare just because, I mean, especially in Kevin Durant's case, because in that sense, uh, he joined the Warriors in an anomaly season where the, uh, you know, the cap took a huge spike and he, they were able to sign uh, so many max players at one time. Basically, all the players, that he, when LeBron James and uh, all of those players signed with the Heat, the only player on the roster was Mario Chalmers. That was the only player on the Heat's roster. And it was basically Mario Chalmers, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and Mike Miller. That was it. Other than that, it was minimum players and guys they were scrapping together, hoping they could, you know, convince to take – Minimum deals. So, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, there's a lot of arguments we can get into there. Um, Which Mike Miller Durant. did just tweet at LeBron whenever Avery Bradley went out and he yeah. said, open roster spot. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Coach Miller? 
So uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Brian Windhorst said on a podcast that in real time, as Jim Gray asked LeBron if he had told other teams his decision, uh, Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cavs, texted Brian Windhorst that LeBron was going to Miami, instructing him to tweet that news out and undercut the decision. So in real time, Josh, if you're Brian Windhorst, you, you're close to LeBron, you know, you, you've built your you've career become, on LeBron. You've become viral. You've become famous over the past couple of months, riding LeBron's coattails, reporting everything about LeBron, sitting in hotel rooms, sitting in lobbies of business buildings for hours, for, I mean, literally days at a time, Josh, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., sitting in those lobbies, looking at who goes up and down the elevator. I mean, you, for your reporting. So you do all of that and you finally get this text. This news is going, could break. Every, I mean, the, you've got the scoop. What do you do with it? While LeBron's up there before he makes a decision, you know, he's going to Miami. This is in real time. Jim Gray asked LeBron if he had told other teams his decision. At that second, Dan Gilbert texted Brian Windhorst and said, LeBron is going to Miami. He told me. Oh, man. Josh, I think you are underestimating how quickly I am copying that message and posting it to Twitter. Wow. Coming from a reputable source from Dan Gilbert? Coming from the owner. You're probably putting it out there. You're probably putting it out there. Personally, oh, man, that, is, that puts me in a, in a tough spot. Because what if, what if you put out – He's going to Miami. 20 seconds later, he says, I'm going to Detroit. Well, I mean, we even saw that, uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith really uh, – this was the first year that people started coming out saying that they're hearing things. You know, I'm not reporting this. I'm hearing it. And, uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith really made that famous this year when he reported, uh, you know, about a week before the decision, he was hearing that all three guys were going to Miami. And he was really the only person reporting that. And, uh, you know, and it, he got that, like you said, Josh, that kind of, that kind of leeway that, that you need right there, that you're hearing stuff, you know, maybe something like that would have prefaced. Yeah. You don't need that, that official channel. You know, you don't want to officially say LeBron, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch are going to Miami. You want to be able to have a little bit of what I'm hearing is there's a good chance he ends up in Miami. My sources are telling me exactly. So, um, Josh, this is a lot of fun. I, uh, I don't have any more on the decision. Uh, I've heard a lot of stuff on it. I've heard a lot of great podcasts about it. There are a lot of funny or a, a lot of funny podcasts that Brian Winhorse and Zach Loeb have done. Uh, so check those out. Um, so this is really uh, all I have on headlines, anything like that. I wanted to get into our really fun interview with Anthony Sane. Uh, stick around after for Degenerates Den about the PGA, PGA Rocket Mortgage Classic. Josh, before we get into the interview, you had an ad for us. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. 
Josh, joining us today, a really special guest, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the Outsiders podcast. Find that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, most commonly referred to as your favorite media member's favorite media member. It's Anthony Sane. Um, it's a privilege to talk shop with you here today. How are you, buddy? Guys, I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Great. This is great weather up here down here in Oklahoma. Beautiful. So you guys are in Oklahoma, huh? Yes, sir. Yeah, the Grizzlies had a, a nice little playoff rivalry with those guys a few years back. Man. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. A lot of first-round battles. Yeah, exactly. Grit and grind Grizzlies. I, I still hate Tony Allen. <laughs> yeah, it's weird you said that because uh, a lot of people in Memphis, we talk about, you know, players we hate or whatever. And a lot of people don't understand. A lot of guys hated those guys. A lot of guys hated that, that grit and grind team. A lot of guys hated Tony and Zach for some of the stuff they would do on the court. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it, it just contradicted what we were trying to do exactly. I mean, we, we wanted to – we were the evolution of the game. Y'all wanted to slow it down and go back to the 90s. Right. We uh, want to murk it up, man. Exactly. So, uh, before we get into the bubble, um, as an aspiring NBA beat writer myself, uh, I wanted to dive into your career a little bit. Um, if you could, walk us through that pathway to where you are now. Well, man, I had a very uh, unconventional path. Uh, I'm a little older than a lot of my peers. I'm 40 years old, and I got started doing this probably in my probably early 30s, late 30s, something, late 20s, something like that. Um, just basically just blogging, uh, doing whatever, you know, do whatever I could do to kind of uh, work on my craft and just kind of get my name out there. I actually started off blogging with a uh, local uh, site that did uh, Tiger basketball, University of Memphis Tiger basketball stuff. And that just kind of grew and grew and grew. And um, I was never, never too good to do any type of free work. And um, I, I tell people all the time, you're never working for free when you're, uh, when you're trying to be your own boss. When your goal is being your own boss or, or being um, basically any goal, any goal you have, there's no such thing as working for free when you're investing in yourself. Uh, it's basically um, just having to make those sacrifices, man. Do what you have to do. To, uh, to get your name out there and to just build connections. And I can just think of a lot of connections I made when I was, when I was quote unquote working for free uh, with different media members in the city. And these are now guys that I look at as my peers because I'm now at a place where uh, sports, writing and covering uh, sports teams pays my bills now. And that's truly, uh, it's truly a blessing. It's truly, um, you know, I could, I could be doing anything else, but like I said, we're sitting here talking and um, you know, this is, this is work for me. So yeah, it's, it's a great place to be. So, so a lot of our listeners don't, you know, might not understand the full concept. So could you explain mm -hmm. what it means to be a beat writer? Uh, basically, when you're a beat writer for a team, um, you're you're there's really two types of two types of writers. And I didn't even go to school for this stuff. That's another thing, too. I'm an independent journalist. Just came in, like I said, unconventionally. Um, when you're a beat writer, you're basically covering the day to day of the team and you're uh, you're trying to. You're, you're giving people a grasp of an inside view, like by going to practice, going to games, going to locker rooms, uh, having conversations with uh, members of the front office, if you're able to, uh, those type of things. And you're really basically just stating facts. You're basically just uh, letting people know what's going on and keeping them abreast of news or developments um, or just things you're seeing from your eye being up close. And then you have someone that's a columnist. Columnists basically share their opinion on something, and uh, it's more of a, a broader stroke that they paint with. Um, but I enjoy it, man. Like anything the team has going on, uh, I'm usually there. Like uh, they had an event, uh, especially now during, you know, the pandemic with not, nothing much is going on. Anytime there's an opportunity to do anything to get out of the house, I'm pretty much going to go. Like the Grizzlies have this campaign here where they're passing out um, 
believe Memphis face mask. And I was at the event where they did it and they did it with social distancing. And it was just, uh, it was just good. It was just, it's good to get out and see those type of things. And like I said, it's just an honor and a privilege to be able to do what I do full time. So uh, maybe one of those events or maybe a talking to a player in the locker room after a game, uh, what's one of the coolest opportunities that this career has afforded you? Uh, as far as like, you mean like, going to an event or a locker room or something? Yeah, may, or maybe just like a particular moment that kind of stands out to you. Um, let me see. I'm sure you're referring to something that I, would, that I wouldn't normally have if I was a fan. Yeah. Um, just seeing these guys as human beings. Um, like I, the Grizzlies have a very young team. And um, I went on a road trip to uh, Atlanta, I think it was. Yeah, went on a road trip to Atlanta. And the Grizzlies, we, we beat up on the Hawks pretty bad. And, you know, we have John Morant, who's our star rookie player. And John's only 20 years old. And you see John on the court. He's doing all these uh, fantastic things. And uh, I saw a moment after the game. The game had been over for probably an hour. And John was just out there uh, with his uh, girlfriend and his very small baby at the time. Baby's not even a year old, but probably very small child. And you just get to see this 20-year-old man who we look at as a – just a superstar on the basketball court, but just saw a young man, you know, figuring out life with his, with his young family. And those type of moments are just uh, <clears throat> great moments, you know, and uh, just having, cause then uh, just having one-on-one conversation. I had a one-on-one conversation with John where his child was born premature. And I told him, you know, my son went through the same thing, bro. So I'm with you. The, thing, the things that probably stress you out, you know, they, they stress me out as well, but you know, you'll get through it. And that's something that having access to the team allows me to to have. Um, it's just a you know typical fan may not be able to do. Wow, yeah, that, that sounds like an incredible uh, position. You've really been uh, afforded there. Uh, hopefully, we have something similar one day with this platform. Um, so let's mm-hmm. dive right into it. Let's talk some shop. Um, what are your initial thoughts? What were your uh, first thoughts when the full schedule was was released a few days ago? Uh, I, I, as far as the Grizzlies are concerned, um, I'm pretty down for it. I like. And not particularly the teams, the, the names we're playing, but when they're playing them, I think it really is beneficial to the Grizzlies. Uh, we've got a uh, tough stretch opening up where we're playing three teams that are right behind us as far as the Pelicans, um, the Spurs, and also uh, the uh, Portland Trailblazers. And I think that we can, if, if we can come out of the bat and, and win two of those three games, uh, assuming they probably – the Spurs game looks kind of easy because Marcus Aldridge is going to be out. Uh, but, of course, you know, Pop is still Pop. But if the Grizzlies can win two out of those three games, I really think that can kind of cause some separation. Uh, the Grizzlies are playing with a real chip on their shoulder. They're going to come into Orlando with a real chip on their shoulder. A lot of the media is counting us out like, like it's already uh, just a foregone conclusion that either the Blazers or the Pelicans are going to pass them. So uh, I think if they can come out of those three games, you know, maybe two and two and one or three and oh, they'd be in good shape. Uh, the two games against uh, you guys. And then uh, also, who is it, the other team? Utah, uh, those can be toss-ups. Uh, Utah's in peril right now. Um, you know, you got the the issues with um, Gobert and also uh, Donovan Mitchell. They've got chemistry issues as well as Bogdanovich being out for uh, for the entire time in Orlando. Uh, and then also the last three games of the season against Boston, uh, Milwaukee, and um, also uh, in Toronto. Those are two, three teams that pretty much have everything wrapped up. You, we don't know. By that time, you'd think that everything probably would be resolved, and those game teams might be throwing anybody out on the court. So I think the Grizzlies are in good shape, including the games where they have to control their own destiny. 
So you hit on something that I wanted to talk about right there with uh, the media talking about it's a foregone conclusion. Memphis is going to get knocked out and the Pelicans <laughs> or someone else is going to step in. And so that leads us right into one of the biggest uh, headlines going into the to the bubble, the resumption of play is Jaw versus Zion. So obviously we're going to get to see that game. How much of this is causing that chip, especially on Jaw's uh, shoulder, for that media for the media to be pushing those two against each other? Oh man, um, I think it's going to be big. Um, whenever you would speak to Jaw's, one of those guys who he likes to challenge. You know what I mean? He's been the guy who's been an underdog his entire career. Uh, you're talking about a guy that was a zero star <laughs> going into college uh, as a recruit. Not not just, you know, underrated, but wasn't rated at all, you know. Wasn't wasn't on anybody's rankings, period. And now he's, you know, one of the, the best young players in the NBA. So I think that he's he's taking it personal. I, I know that him and Zion are close. They do have a background as well. They play for the same AAU program as kids. Uh, but I think that uh, John's one of those guys you can tell when he's agitated. And he's uh, he put out a tweet today saying he's put on 14 pounds of, of good weight, 14 pounds of muscle. So uh, he's been focused. He's been focused this whole time during the break. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to see what he does uh, with the guys when they get back out there. 14 so, uh, pounds is scary. Yeah, man, it is. That, I, I just watched the replay of that dunk on Baines probably about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, it was. He, he's – ridiculous the amount of bounce he has but uh let me make sure i have this right so the uh the grizzlies are three and a half games up right now over those uh the, the 9 10 11 seed and to um get your way out of the play-in tournament you need to be above four games um clear the nine seed is that correct mm -hmm. yes that's correct so, uh, so basically they're a half game down right now of missing the play-in tournament Cool. Say that one more time. I, I might be confused by what you said. Say it again. So, uh, so uh, to avoid the play-in tournament, they would need um, to win basically another game. They need to keep, uh, gain another game above the nine. Gain another game, right? Right, because right. they can't. They can't go. It can't be four games up because of the amount of games left, and with them already being three and a half, the most you can be is it has to be four and a half to gain the right. game. So uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, the Grizzlies would have to basically be up a game on everyone else. They have to gain a game over this time over the eight games uh, in order to avoid the plan. Now, you kind of gave us a little bit of prediction for, the, for those first three games. You said uh, hopefully a two-and-one record. I've actually got them three-and-oh to start the bubble. Uh, like hey, you mentioned, hey uh, brother, Mark, I, I, I'm riding with that one too. LaMarcus Aldridge <laughs> is, uh, is out, like you said. Trevor Rees is going to miss. Um, and Portland's been the storyline this entire bubble, uh, just, or this entire pandemic, just because of uh, – uh, I don't even think Dame is going to come back, if we're being honest with you. Um, and the Pelicans being their only game coming um, in a back-to-back. -back. So that's pretty interesting to note as well. Uh, the, their game against New Orleans is on a back-to-back. So do you think two and one is that number? Or do you think they can get all three? Uh, two and one would be great. Of course, I would love three and zero oh if that happens. Uh, like I said, man, the Grizzlies, just, they're just a team who they've had to hear this crap for a long time. And, and all the talk about Portland and New Orleans, it started even before the pandemic. I was in Atlanta. And I remember asking the guys down there, man, and they were like, I'm tired of hearing it. And that was back in, I think that was back in early March, maybe late February when we played Atlanta. So uh, they're, they're tired of it. And I think that they're, they're talented enough. You're about to add Justice Winslow, a uh, great perimeter defender, just a hard-nosed guy uh, who's going to be completely healthy. You're going to get Brandon Clark back healthy. You're going to get Jaron Jackson Jr. back healthy. I think people are really sleeping on the Grizzlies at the wrong time. And a lot of people don't really pay much attention to them. They're not thinking about the fact that when the Grizzlies were playing, you know, kind of poorly towards right before the end of the break, they were down a lot of guys and it was starting to weigh on them. But uh, we've been playing good basketball the whole season. And, and to that point as well, it's like 
I tell people this, and it gets so frustrating that it's funny sometimes. It's like the teams like Portland and the Pelicans, these teams that the media has just been, you know, just clamoring over all this time. These teams have been losing teams for the majority of the season, and not just barely losing. I mean, like they're eight and nine games under five hundred. Uh, if the Pelicans went, if the Pelicans went eight and zero this entire um, playing with the seeding games, they'd only be 36 and 36 for a season. That's if they went all the way. That's if they won all the games. And people are acting like they're just some great team because they're expecting to do something amazing. And even with Zion Williamson, they're only 10 and 9. So I don't understand why people are just expecting them to just come out here and just do something so amazing when the Grizzlies have been playing winning basketball the entire season once they got things going and got over the hump of being a brand-new team in the first year of a rebuild. They've been playing amazing basketball the entire season outside of this stretch where the uh, where Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark have been out with injury and you lost guys via trade and Justin Winslow wasn't available. They've been playing great basketball the whole season. So you talked about players that you were getting back. So is the Grizzlies still uh, a clean slate on COVID-19 testing? Is there any um, thought going to the boat? I haven't heard anything about our guys as far as uh, COVID-19 is concerned. I know that the news came out today saying that some Pelicans players, um, you know, had, had tested positive, whatever, hoping everybody, you know, hope as many guys as possible can, go, can come down here. Uh, and I hope that everyone's healthy. But uh, as far as the Grizzlies are concerned, um, I haven't heard anything about our guys. And I'd assume that that means that nothing has happened. So I'm um, just hoping everybody's safe and we just come out there ready to compete. Okay. Uh, one more question here going into this bubble. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's going to be on a huge stage. Uh, the whole world's going to be watching the NBA. This kind of goes back to the beginning of the season. How has the transaction of Andre Iguodala impacted this team uh, as far as his holdout? You know, we didn't get – you know, Iggy at all, he, you know, he chose to stay away from the team the entire season. I think that motivated a lot of guys. Um, I, I know you guys remember when Dylan Brooks made a comment where he said, well, we can't wait till we trade him mm -hmm. and to, so he can see how things go down here in Memphis. Uh, I think for this team, these guys have been motivated by being slept on the entire season. This is, um, is a, a very rare occurrence uh, for a team that's uh, – literally going through a rebuild like the Grizzlies are to be this good already ahead of progress. And uh, I talked to someone with the uh, Elias Sports Bureau, and they said that this Grizzlies team would be the second youngest uh, playoff team uh, ever in history. With that, uh, that Thunder team, you guys, the Thunder team being the youngest ever, this Grizzlies team would be the second youngest NBA team ever to make the playoffs if they made it. And I think they've been motivated. And I think that some of the things that Iguodala said and just people in general said have uh, motivated these guys that whole time. Yeah. Uh, you talk about how young they are. Um, one day superstars like Jaw and Triple J, uh, they could really rise at this moment, um, you know, much like an NCAA tournament run. Uh, it may even right. feel similar to one, you know, being at one court. And, you know, Jaw was just in that situation last year. Uh, and rip off five straight six, six wins in the, uh, in the seeding games. Um, do you see that more likely, or do you see it um, more likely guys like Dame step onto a familiar stage and uh, just really assert his dominance again like like he normally does? I think we're going to bust Portland up this first game. <laughs> uh, we, we beat Portland pretty bad last time we played them. And um, Portland's one of those teams, man, like, you know, I, re I respect them. I respect the fact that they were a Western Conference Finals team last year. But they underachieved so much, man. It's like, you know, it's just hard to kind of take them serious. And no one really feels sorry for them. Yes, they lost. They've been down two guys the whole season. I mean, we're not talking about world beaters, man. I mean, we're talking about, you know, basically role players on their team. And um, that Portland team has underachieved this whole season. They went out and got Carmelo Anthony. Uh, the odd, you know, the verdict's still out on that, whether that's worked or not. 
But man, you talk like I said, you're talking about another team, the seven, eight, nine games under five hundred, mm-hmm. and we're trying to make excuses for them. I mean, I'm out on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just out on Portland there. So, uh, talk about a young team. They also have a really young head coach, uh, 35 right. years old. Have you got to talk right. or have you heard uh, Coach Jenkins in what he's, uh, you know, kind of prepping these guys to get them ready for the bubble? Yes, he's, uh, he's been an amazing coach this year. If you look at the things he's done, uh, first-year coach. It's funny because when my first time really seeing him in coach mode, with the Grizzlies had open practice. And I was uh, joking about it on Twitter. I said, this looks like I'm at, in PE class because um, in the typical – uh, open practice situation they come out they're doing drills you're seeing guys doing all these serious NBA drills they were doing like PE games they were doing like knockout and just a bunch of other like silly type games they're playing games with the kids in the crowd and it was more like it looked like you were in gym class it looked like you were at, at, at field day or something uh, led by coach Jenkins and I joked about it and also during the season he said that they play kickball and dodgeball and things like that instead of practicing sometimes and um, it's really created wild chemistry with the team yeah. where the guys really have a real college environment. Um, and, and his his demeanor bleeds down from, from the top to the bottom. It's like we made a joke sometimes amongst the media members where you can tell how the locker room is going to be by how coach is. If coach comes in, he's even killed, locker room is going to be the same way. If, if he comes in, he's upset, the locker room is going to be upset. And if he comes in, if he's happy, the guys are going to be happy. Uh, he, his, his personality bleeds down to the guys. And like I said, he's normally even killed. Uh, you very, very seldom seeing him going too, too far up or too far down. And even when the team was, was losing, he constantly talked about getting better and getting better and what he could learn. And uh, he's just done an amazing job. He surprised a lot of people. Yeah, loving what Coach Jenkins is doing over there. And earlier you are talking about uh, players coming back. So there was rumors coming around. We saw a, uh, Michael Porter for his birthday. He had a tweet at him. His brother said that we'll see you in Orlando and there's some steam that's picked up that he's going to be joining Memphis Grizzlies. So, John T. Porter, what news can we uh, do? We know about him joining up with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I'm, I'm haven't heard anything recently about him. I know that the Grizzlies uh, did add him at the end of the season. I think they've got more long-term goals than short-term with him. I think that he'll probably be someone that maybe be on a two-way contract uh, with the team next year. Just a phen- another phenomenal job by the Grizzlies front office, just being uh, forward-thinking. Uh, John Taylor is just an analytics wonder. A lot of people uh, loved him coming in, coming uh, out of high school and, and after his first and second year in college. Uh, I think that he's a guy that we don't really know what he can be, still recovering from an injury. But uh, if he's able to add on, it's just, it'll just be a true diamond in the rough steal for the Grizzlies. So uh, last question here. Uh, Anthony Sang, co-host of the Outsiders podcast. Find out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We'll get you out of here right after this one. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. So let's go ahead and put it in the universe, put it out there. Uh, the Grizzlies get the eight seed. So, uh, yeah, this happened. Yeah. So now walk us through the roadmap. What has to happen for them to make it to the second round? Um, <laughs> let me see if I can say this. I want to I joke, but I don't want to be inappropriate. Let me think. Something, <laughs> no, tra- something, traumatic, something traumatic would probably have to happen to the Lakers, something unfortunate for us to get over that hump. I think that LeBron is, is locked in, and I think he's going to do whatever it takes to get a ring this year. I, I hate that I have to – hate that my team has to be his first-round um, <laughs> opponent. But uh, I will say this. Something intriguing about this series is a team that's so young and so green and naive that they don't realize they're not supposed to be there. It's a team that could be dangerous in the playoffs. Um, I think sometimes a lack of experience can, can make a team dangerous. Another interesting thing about that matchup is that Avery Bradley is not going to be there. Avery Bradley was, is their main uh, perimeter defender, and he would have had to guard John Morant in this series. 
And without that uh, perimeter defender, not really sure who they'll, who they'll have on John. Maybe Danny Green. Not sure how they'll, what they'll do with that. But uh, it's going to be interesting. I think the Grizzlies are a team that could probably get a game or two off the Lakers, depending on, you know, what happens in, in that series. Well, Anthony oh, yeah. Davis is still having nightmares about almost getting just demolished by John. Jumped so. over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you uh, are you as scared as of the Clippers? Uh, we beat the Clippers one game pretty good. They beat us, I want to say, in two of the games. I think they beat us pretty good. Um, I think for this young Grizzlies team, man, if they could just get out there and just just show themselves. Not, I don't think they're going to win any series against anyone, but I think they could just get out there and just get in the playoffs, man, and just prove themselves on the highest stage, showing that they belong there. I think any of that is a plus, especially for a team that you people were saying is going to be amongst the worst in the NBA this year. Definitely excited to watch Jaw and uh, Triple J in the, in the bubble. This can be some exciting basketball. I'm just excited to have it back, man. Yes, sir. Well, hey, man, we, uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Anthony Sane, check, check him out on Twitter. Uh, had a lot of fun today, man. Oh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate it. Have having a good one, man. Josh, I actually noticed you were a little quiet. Um, we were talking about predictions, uh, talking about who's going to end up getting that eight seed. Uh, maybe you didn't want to hurt his feelings, but uh, it's a safe space right here. Who, who gets that eight seed, buddy? No, so I didn't mean to be quiet. I've said this, you know, you and I went back and forth. I know that you're a uh, – you've wanted Zion in this entire time. I'm a, I'm a jaw guy. I've said it, you know, ever since we started this podcast. I think that John Morant and the Grizzlies are going to stick around and get that eight seed. I know that you want to see Zion in the playoffs. Uh, but I think that – I think John and them are going to stick it out. I think they're going to hold on to their eight seed. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm – I think they will too, just because I think the, uh, that, you know, three and a half game buffer or whatever they have uh, is just going to be too much to overcome. Definitely uh, to overcome the eight seed. So even if they do have to play the play in, uh, I don't see a team beating them twice. Uh, So I definitely agree with you there, unless it's Dame, Uh, you know, he, uh, Anthony was a little, a little confident that uh, they were going to take down Dame and the Blazers. Uh, Maybe a little, Maybe a little premature. I think it but, depends uh, on who's actually going to play for the Blazers. You know what I mean? Like, and we'll yeah. see what happens in the in the coming days on you know those announcements on on players. But no, I have a lot of faith in the Grizzlies, and I love what they're building there as a uh, very young franchise. Definitely, you know, and we can't wait to have Anthony back on. Uh, but let's get into the de- degenerates den, Josh. I have I have trouble saying that every time. The dege- but, uh, the degenerates den. Exactly. So uh, let's get into let's get into it. Rocket Mortgage Classic. We're here again. I've got some picks for you. I've got some prop bets that are sure winners. Um, this is a pretty tough golf course, Josh. It's over seven thousand yards. Um, you know, not too tough at greens, but they are you know PGA Tour greens, so obviously not easy. Uh, last year here, the top five uh, in the tournament, the top five finishers, their average world golf ranking was three hundred ninety seventh. So uh, you know, obviously that might. Uh, you know, take note of that if you're going to be betting here. Maybe don't go after the scratch guys. Maybe don't go after anybody atop the leaderboard, uh, you know, early on. But, Josh, we have the top five points leaders on the season here. So it should be a pretty competitive field. Um, notably, your guy, Webb Simpson, back in the mix. Um, like I said, there's a very long golf course. The ability to keep the ball in play, knock down putts, going to be huge. Tony Finau, 33 to 1 odds. Uh, definitely advise looking in the, into him. Um, he hasn't had a round above par since the restart. Uh, Josh, I want to get into Bryson DeChambeau, but do you have any uh, any thoughts on this before we get into our picks? Yeah, so I'm actually very excited for uh, Tyrell Hatton. I think yeah, uh, 
I think he's, he's a gonna, sleeper in this one. Yeah, he's going to make some noise. I'm I'm really excited for Tyrell and what he's going to be able to do. Uh, you know, it's been a while, you know, for him to be part of all this, to, to get his name even thrown out with. I know we haven't mentioned his name on here yet, but uh, I think it's about time that we did, and I think that it's going to show this weekend. Yeah, I think that's a good pick there. Uh, so, Bryson DeChambeau. He's the been worst. the – Kyler, let me tell you. I know you've got a whole thing on Bryson. Whenever the first time we started the Degenerates in for PGA actually getting to break down and preview some of this, you were super high on DeChambeau, and I was kind of not. You know, I said, well, you know, Bryson is Bryson. It's been a couple years, you know, since we've really seen – a year and a half since we've really seen anything out of Bryson. I will say right now he has probably been – he's absolutely been the most consistent player in the past month in the PGA Tour. So did you see his uh, his breakfast, what he – or his uh, – what he eats every day? I have not. So while I'm reading all this, go ahead and look that up. So um, his worst finish in his last eight starts – is tied for eight. In his last eight starts, he has four top five finishes. Off the tee last week, he gained 2.8 strokes on the field. Off the tee, he gained almost three strokes on everyone else. And that is by far his worst performance of the calendar year in that statistic. So his last three weeks, Bryson is 46 under par. In his last three weeks, Bryson is 46 under par, has gained a full stroke over the field just off the tee alone. He's hitting 78% of his greens, and he has 90 drives over 300 yards. Uh, I see you making a face, Josh. Go ahead and read off everything now that I read all those boring stats. Read everything that Bryson eats um, during the day. This is a quote. I would say that in the mornings I usually have four eggs, five pieces of bacon, toast, and two protein shakes. He went from 195 to 240. Yeah, I was, say, I was about to say, Josh, you're reading that much, much too slow. But there's way too, many, too much sentence structure in there for you to fit all of, uh, all of Bryson's diet in tonight. We'll That's the breakfast. Here. That's the yeah, breakfast. That, uh, that's first breakfast. That is first breakfast for Bryson. Oh, my goodness. Throughout the course of the day, I'll have a Go Macro bar, a peanut butter jelly sandwich, another protein shake, at least two more protein drinks on the golf course every six holes, and then after the round, I'll have one. After that, I'm snacking when I'm practicing, go back to the hotel, eat a dinner, steak, potatoes, I'll have two protein shakes with it there as well. So I'm consuming around, I'd say, six to seven of those protein shakes a day. Oh, my God. So he's gaining a full stroke over the field just off the tee. He has 90 drives over 300 yards, and he's hitting 78% of his greens in regulation. What does that tell you? It doesn't matter. This man is bulking up, and he is playing consistent golf at a high level, and it is time for Bryson Shambeau to honestly to crack it. He he has been just there for the past month. It's time for him to win a tournament. So it tells me that from Tita Green, he's figured it out. Tita Green, he is he has figured it out how to be dominant, how to be better than everyone else in the world. And now it comes down to putting. Now it comes down to what everyone has been saying. 
yeah, what everyone's been saying will be his downfall. You know, he's just, he's gotten so big, but he's so mental. You know, everything, he just thinks everything through and that will lead to him self-destructing him, self-imploding, you know, whatever you want to say. I disagree. I think that, uh, you know, let these guys really, really dive into whatever he wants to do and stop critiquing it so much and let him do what he wants to do. If you feel like it's, it's going to make him better, then let it make him better and stop criticizing it before you even see it happen. And I mean, because you're already tearing him down and you're building up these, you know, horrible expectations or these too lofty expectations for him. And now he's going in, he's maybe not meeting them when he's 46 under par in the last three tournaments, but you know, he hasn't won. So he's not meeting your expectation. Like just calm down. The putts are going to drop. Just, he's got to figure it out first. I think it's all mental right now, but once he, once those putts start dropping, Josh, it's going to be a lot of trouble for the PGA tour. And like I said, there's not a lot of people in this tournament this week that move the needle. Uh, I think Bryson could get it done this week. And I actually, Josh, that leads me right to my picks. My number one pick is Bryson. I mean, that's a, that's a really good pick. I mean, like I said, Bryson has been super consistent playing at a very high level. Definitely can't go wrong there. My first pick is going to be Patrick Reed. Uh, he's one of the favorites to win this tournament. I think that Patrick's going to have a really nice day on the first day of the golf course, and I think he's going to keep it up through the weekend. Yeah. Nah. Patrick Reed's always a solid pick. He's a, he's a really good putter, and, you know, like I said, it's really going to help here. Uh, and my second pick is actually going to be uh, part of a prop bet that I have, Kevin Na. So Kevin Na, uh, to, top, to finish in the top 20, he's plus 175. That's a good prop bet you can find on DraftKings. Uh, check that out. Plus 175 to finish in the top 20, Kevin Na. I love him this week. He finished top five of the Travelers last week. Really look out for Kevin Na to, I think, finish in the top three this week. Oh, I love it. So my second pick is going to be Victor Hovland. Oh, I was, I, that was my next pick. I love Victor Hovland. Have you seen how much – so we talk about how, how Bryson is 46 under par. Have you seen what, uh, what uh, Victor Hovland is in that same amount of time? I have not. In that same stretch, in that same stretch, Victor Hovland is 36 under par. So I mean, just been playing lights out golf. You know, just in that same sense, hasn't been getting hasn't been getting the putts to drop in the right time. So I think it will happen this week for Victor, or if not this week, in the near future. Uh, to round out my top three, and this is really off the board. Um, you know, I think, like I said, uh, someone off the board is going to win this tournament. It's not going to be probably in the top 20 guys that are uh, in the top odds so Kevin Chappell uh you know we saw him shoot a fire out of 59 um here probably about 12 months ago exactly uh really look out for Kevin Chappell to get an early start in the tournament uh, if you could find something uh with Chappie you know getting him you know top 20 going into Saturday Saturday's round I would definitely take some action on that uh you know he loves those early rounds he loves getting out there early he has some early tea time so definitely look out for Kevin Chappell yeah, it's a great call. You know, someone just kind of not not the standard name, not the usual name. Let's, you know, get somebody off of there. That's kind of where my pick's at as well. It's a sleeper pick. Maverick McNeely. So, overall, he is 22nd on tour in strokes gained. Putting, 31st in putting. And he is birdies or better, 10th in scrambling. So, Maverick McNeil is a guy who is a definite sleeper pick. But he's someone to watch out for to get in the top five, top ten this weekend. 
uh, at a wonderful golf course, and I'm looking for Maverick McNeely. What a wonderful name, by the way. That, that is a, just an, a magnificent name. Uh, yeah, Ma Maverick McNeely, uh, like I said, Josh, con uh, consistent golf is what's going to win this tournament, and people like that, people who can just put a, put a solid round together, limit the mistakes, uh, you know, they're going to win this golf tournament. And so hopefully, hopefully we see my guy Bryson finally pull one out. It's a pretty long course, uh, pretty, pretty long course. The guy like Kevin Kisner, look out for him too, even though it's pretty long. Um, you know, he hits his irons extremely well. Hits, I mean, just drains putts from anywhere. So look out for guys like that, guys that can drain the long putts, hit their long irons extremely well. Uh, Josh, I had a lot of fun today. Had a, a great interview. Uh, you have something you want to add to that? And yeah, it was just a great time today. Great, uh, great episode. Great interview with Anthony. I, I really appreciate him taking the time. Can't wait to have him back on, man. Yep, I had a lot of fun today, Josh. Uh, can't wait for the next one. Uh, if you're liking what you're hearing, go give us five stars. Subscribe. Share us on Facebook. Share us on Twitter, Instagram. Share us to your friends. Uh, Josh, I'll see you on Friday. All right, man. Talk to you later. Uh, birthday on Thursday, so I will see you on Friday. Yep, happy birthday, buddy.